Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Today's topic we're looking at, um, as we kind of wrap everything up, we have looked at all kinds of things as, as, it, uh, as it relates to the theology of the gospel, right? We looked at why it was necessary. Why is the gospel necessary? Because we're sinners. And we're not just sinners of like, you know, we're sort of sinners. We are all the way sinners. We are messed up, right? And because we're so messed up and because of sin, uh, death entered into the world and death by sin and all those things. And so we have a big problem. And the gospel is our big solution. That God loved us enough to send his son so that we could have eternal life with him. We don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. If you think you deserve it, you don't. Get in the word and see how much we don't deserve it, but how good God is that he makes salvation available. So as we close out this uh, closing or this opening, opening act of the book of Romans today, we're going to look at the love of God which made the gospel available. What we've been looking at up until this point is why we need the gospel why we needed it, but now we're going to see what made the gospel available. J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite commentators, said this, the greatest and finest exposition of the love of God in the entire Bible is the text that we're going to be looking at this morning in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. It is the greatest and finest exposition of the love of God in the entire Bible. Because this text that we're going to look at this morning answers the two major questions that people have had about God's love throughout history. When it comes to the subject of God's love, people generally ask two questions. Number one, they ask this, if God is truly loving, then why is there so much pain and so much agony in the world around us? If God truly loves us, then why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard that question before? Have you ever asked that question before? If God is truly a loving God, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much stuff that goes on around us in our world today? And we live in a fairly civilized society. We live in a first world environment and we still see pain and agony and despair and injustice all around us. How can God be loving? Other people ask this, how can God actually love me because I'm so bad? Surely what I've done and how far I've gone, surely I've gone too far. I'm farther than God's grace could reach. If God is so holy and righteous and just, why would he love someone like me? That's for the self-deprecating kind, the kind of person that says they wants to constantly and continually live in their shame and their guilt. Not, maybe they don't want to live there, but that's where the enemy has gotten them. That God may love others, but he can't love me. Not after what he knows about me. So there's two questions. How can God be so loving if he lets bad things happen? And how can God love me as bad as I am? This text that we look at this morning is going to answer that. Both sides of that coin, both sides of that question. I just want to open by looking at verse number eight because that's the key verse that we're going to dive off of into our entire, into our message this morning. It says in Romans chapter five and verse eight, it's one of the verses on the Roman road to salvation. You probably know this very well. It says this, but God proves or commendeth or demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's read that one together out loud. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord God, I pray this morning that you will speak through your word today. I pray that it would not be Derek. Hold me back from anything thing that would hinder your word from going forth the way that you intend it to go today. Lord, we need your word. Just like we need food 
Just like we need water, just like we need air in our lungs, we need your word. I pray that you would feed us and I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would convict us where conviction is necessary, Lord. Speak this morning to us. We wait to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, what we see is a shift kind of in the focus. As we close out this, this first act, this opening act of the book of Romans, we see a shift in focus. We've been looking through chapters 1 all the way through 4 at why we need the gospel. Now we see as we close out this opening act, we see why God gave us the gospel. It answers that question, if I'm so bad, why would God love me enough? And that is because simply he chose to love us. He chose to love us and he has shown us his love. The gospel exists because without it we're hopeless. The gospel exists because we are sinners and we have to be brought near to God through Jesus Christ. I can't get there on my own. We've all looked at why we need the gospel, but today let's look at what makes it available. Why God gives us the gospel and that's because he loves us. John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. It kind of opens up what Paul expounds upon here in our text. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that verse. We've seen it in the, you know, in the, in the backdrop of a baseball game or on a football game or on Tim Tebow's eye black and all over the place. We see John 3.16 all over the place. But do we truly and absolutely understand just how much we are loved by the God of this universe? And my contact is acting kind of crazy right now. Sorry about that. I'm not blinking like I'm, trying, I'm saying one thing out my, one side of my mouth and then uh, eh, I think we'll get through it. All right, anyway. Y'all look real blurry. Y'all have never looked better. No, I'm just teasing. All right, anyway. <laughs> the most widely known and most published verse in all of Scripture points us to the love of God that sets us free. The reason for that is because love is the greatest theme of human history. All the way through history, through wars, through pestilence, through sorrow, through famine, through rises and falls of empires, there's been one consistent theme that we've been infatuated with all the way through history, and that's the theme of love. You could drain forests of all of their trees with all the paper that has been used over the years to pen poems and to pen novels and to pen books and to pen songs about the subject of love. You could fill a playlist that would play until all of us died in here with all the songs that have been written about love. People have studied love, they've run from love, they've embraced love, they've tried to figure love out, and you would think that as great students as we are as human beings of the subject of love, we would have at least gained some sort of mastery of the subject, but yet we still live in a time and in a culture where love is craved, love, people are desperate for love, they can't find it, they can't figure it out, it's revered, it's celebrated, but so few actually feel as though they have found it, the real thing. See, centuries of infatuation with love have only left us still searching for the greatest love of all. And it doesn't matter how great of a love relationship that you think you have. I think Stacy's got it pretty good with me. Let me, let, me, let me switch that around. I think I've got it pretty good with Stacy. Did I say that was a Freudian slip right there, I think? All right. <clears throat> Whew. Uh, got it pretty good with my family. But human love lets down, doesn't it? Human love falls short sometimes. And what I meant was, Stacey's got it pretty good with me, but I will let her down at times. It always happens. God never lets us down. We always are searching for that complete love that never fails us. And if we look at it outside of God, we won't find it. We won't find it. 
This is where Romans 5 shines that light into the darkness that God proves his love for us. We're still searching for the greatest love of all. Human beings are still searching for the greatest love of all. I know right now, Whitney Houston just popped in your head and you're singing the greatest love of all right now, right? Remember what that song says? The greatest love of all is happening to me. Learning to love myself is the greatest love of all. What a bunch of junk, man. I ain't gonna love. That's the last person I'm gonna love because I know how bad I is, right? Right? The greatest love of all comes from the greatest lover of all, and that is our God. So this morning, I want to look at the fact that his love is far greater and a far different substance than any other love we will ever know anywhere else. First of all, God's love is great because God's love is unconditional. God's love for us is great because God's love is unconditional. This is one of the most miraculous doctrines of God that he is loving and that his love never fails, that it is unconditional for us. You see, there's different manifestations, there's different kinds and different types of love, and the English language falls desperately short of giving us an understanding of love. We only have one word for love, and that's love. That's it. The Greek language had seven forms. The ancient Greek language had seven words to describe love in its various forms. The Bible uses four of those Greek words to talk about love. He uses eros, which talks about that romantic love. Phileo, which was the family love, the love that we have for brothers and sisters. That's where we get our name for the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There is a storge love, which is that empathetic and compassionate love that we feel for people who are having pain, or maybe we've gone through their pain and we have that love for them, that compassion that comes over us. And then there's agape love, and that's that unconditional, self-sacrificing, sacrificial love, and that's the love that we attribute to God. Interestingly enough, agape is the form of love that is used the least in the Bible when speaking of humanity. It's always in essence of how God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. And we're only capable of that unconditional agape kind of love through the love of God that he shed abroad in our hearts, like it says in verse number five of our text. If you're loving someone in an unconditional way, it's only because of the love that God has given us to love others. Look at verse number six. We see this agape love defined in verse number six. It says, for while we were still helpless... So it's already taking us back to Romans 1 through 4, right? While we were helpless in our sin, in our condemnation, we were helpless in all of our, in all of our rebellion of God. And it says, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Two important words that we see in verse number six, that word helpless there. The word helpless in the original language means that while we were weak and while we were, we were limited, having no ability to do anything good for ourselves, No ability at all to do anything good for ourselves. You might as well call the word hopeless, okay? Now, we have some of our our kids are in here today. Uh, So you guys, this illustration may fall really, really short, but I promise it's going to hit right with the younger generation, okay? Any of you in here like to play Fortnite? Okay, two people. That's great. All right, this is perfect. All right, so I started playing Fortnite with my with my daughter over Thanksgiving break, man, I've kind of gotten hooked on it. Fortnite is just like this game where you get online and you play with other people and it's kind of like a, you know, like a, like a tag em game and everything like that. And so I was playing on a team with Noel and there's a time when if your health goes down, you got this health meter and if you get kind of hit or if you get shot or whatever, you get tagged or well, so many times, you, you eventually you kind of go down and you're depleted down on the ground and you need help. You, you can't do anything for yourself. You're just kind of crawling around waiting for somebody to come and revive you. That's the idea of hopelessness. We are so far down that we can't do anything for ourselves. We were helpless. 
There was nothing I could do. Now, I could crawl around in, in this life and I could try to do something. I can even do some things that look good to other people, but in the end result, I'm helpless because that good is doing nothing for me. Because at the end result, even our works of righteousness are like filthy rags before God. I am helpless. It's the same word that was used in Romans 4 when Paul was talking about Abraham. Remember what we talked about in Romans 4 when Abraham had, had considered the fact that God had said in, the in his 90s they're going to have a kid. And he looked at himself and he said, I'm basically dead already, but I'm just going to trust you anyway. That's how hopeless and helpless we are in our sin. There is, and get this church, there is no reason you and I should be forgiven. No earthly reason you and I should live eternally. But because of God's love, at his perfect timing, he offers it to us. That's agape love. It's unconditional. What that means is I bring nothing to the table. There is no condition that I offer to God that makes it attractive for him to give his son so that I could live eternally. Because all Derek does is rebel. All I do is tell God no. All I do is sin. I'm living in complete and total death. Surrender to my sin. But God said, you're worth it. There's nothing that makes sense about that. We were helpless and we were hopeless. And it says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only were we helpless, we were ungodly. There's nothing within us that makes us worthy of God's love. God's love is unconditional because I present no condition which God should love me for. I'm unattractive. I bring nothing to the table. I am the least. As, as Paul says, I'm the least of these. But God loved me as that. See, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. We hear that. We quote it. And we quote it so many times, sometimes I don't think we get it. All of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. I don't care how many times you've been told you're great. I don't care how many times we've told you you're great. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. God loves you as you are. That's unconditional agape love. We are either godless without the law like the Gentiles were or we're rebellious to the law like the Jews were who knew the law. But here's the nature of God's love. God loves those who do not deserve his love and that encompasses every human being that has ever lived from Adam and Eve all the way to the last woman, man, boy, and girl that will ever live. He loves us. And we see that played out in verses 12 through 11 through the life of Adam. Look at verse number 12. It says, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Man, that verse doesn't sit well, does it? That's a hard verse. Sin entered into the world through one man, death through sin, death spread to all people because all sin. What's that show us? Well, sin entered into the world through Adam. Thank you, grandpappy Adam, right? Death is the result of Adam's sin. And we are all products of Adam and his inherited death through him. See, no one has hope because we were born in sin and we've all sinned. And that's why Paul says that we're helpless in verse number six. See, you and I are not sinners because we sin. This is what we have to understand. Our sin nature is inherited. You and I are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Because it's ingrained in us. When our girls were born and they were these cute, adorable little babies. And now they're cute, adorable, you know, young ladies, right? 
But the moment they were born, they were still sinners. I didn't have to wait for them to sin for the first time and say, sinner! Not that I would yell that at my kid. You know, now you're picturing me standing over their crib at night, just, just preaching at them. No, they sinned. They were going to sin one day because it was inevitable because they were sinners already. That's important for us to understand. That helps us to understand that we really can't be too judgy and judgmental of people because it's ingrained in us to sin if not for the grace and the unconditional love of God that changes us. I don't sin because, or I'm not a sinner because I sinned. I sin because I'm a sinner. I inherited that from Adam and Eve. And so that helps us understand a little bit that we are, unconditional, God's, we are unconditionally loved because God loves us helpless and ungodly and as hopeless as we are, he loved us enough. And that's why, number two, God's love is not only unconditional, it just is unreasonable. God's love just doesn't make sense. There's a song that was written a few years ago called Reckless Love, and it was very controversial on some things. And, but it says that God's love is reckless. And maybe a different choice of words would have been great, but it kind of reminds us of this. That God's love just doesn't make sense. God's love is unreasonable when we look at it. When we look at God's love, he has no business loving us because we're unlovable. To put it lightly, if your son or your daughter brought home someone that was as just brashly defiant and rebellious as we are to God, as parents, we would say, you don't need to be in a relationship with that person. Yet God not only desired us so much that he wanted us, he gave his son for us. His love is unreasonable. It makes absolutely no sense for God to love us like he does, much less for him to love us at all. But his absolutely unreasonable and unfathomable but that, that a perfect and holy God would feel even a speck of compassion for us, sinful and rebellious as we are. And we took that life that God gave us and we messed it up. We took that life that he gave us and we destroyed it in our sin. See, Paul points out just how unreasonable God's love is for us in verses number seven and eight. See, verse number six, it says that God, that Jesus died for the ungodly and he died for his enemies. But look at verses seven and eight. It says, rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says, look, there are some people who we might even be willing to die for because we respect them and we admire them. I'm willing to die for my family. I'm willing to die for them because I respect them and I admire them. And in my book, they are worthy of that kind of sacrifice. You have people that you would say, yeah, I would take a bullet for, right? We respect our soldiers who are willing to risk their lives for the sake of defending us or providing us freedom. I'm willing to die for the sake of Jesus because of what he has done for me. And then we look at that and we think of that human sacrifice and we say, wow, that's the greatest act of love to give your life for somebody. But Paul points out that rarely, if ever, will somebody die for somebody that hates them. We will never die usually for our enemies. And this is why God's love is so unreasonable because it's, the sacrifice is upside down. God died for us, rebellious as we are. Verse number eight tells us that God's love looks a little crazy because he died for us while we were sinners. We look at that verse and say, well, we were sinners. We were helpless and we needed him. We were a poor little wandering sheep. But the question is, why were we wandering? Because we wandered. We were sinners. Sin sets us at enmity with God. According to God's law, we're not just sinners, poor and helpless. We are enemies of God. 
How many of you like superhero movies or comics or stories? You love the hero stories, right? Any hero movie, right? You know, Marvel and Star Wars and the comic books and all that stuff has given us some great hero stories, right? What is one common denominator of every heroic story? The hero always sacrifices or puts themselves on the line for someone who is worthy of it, right? Or someone who is innocent. They're always fighting against the villains who protect the ones who are being attacked, right? How many movies do you think that Marvel or Star Wars or Disney or any of these other, any of these other superhero movies, how many of these other stories do you think would have gained, would have gained traction if the hero died for the villain? All of a sudden, at the, end of, at the end of Avengers, they all, you know, Iron Man and Captain America and all of them just kind of bowed down and paid, and paid homage to Thanos and said, you know what? We're going to wipe everybody out, Thanos, just like you went. We're going to join your team. Or if Luke and Vader all of a sudden said, I'm going to join Emperor Palpatine. And if all of this sounds like, you know, Greek to you, that's, that's cool. But here's what Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us. God proves his love for us in that while we were the villain, Christ died for us. This is why God's love is unreasonable. God's love is a love that dies for the villain. Because we're the villain. None of us like to think of ourselves as the villain, but we're the villain. When God said, obey me and keep my commandments, we said, no, I'm going to do it my own way. When God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of this fruit, they said, no, we're going to do it our own way because we want to be like you. And don't think that we, they just wanted to be like God to know what it was like to be God. No, they wanted to be God because eventually they could be like God and they could eventually be better than God. Because that's what we do. That's what villains do. We try to take over. But the love of God said, I'm going to die for the villain. What if Superman all of a sudden said, you know what, Lex? I want to join your team. That wouldn't make sense. That wouldn't sell many books. That wouldn't sell many movies. Because the hero doesn't die for the villain in the normal way of things. But in the gospel, the hero died for the villain. Look at verse number 15. God not only redeems the villains, but he gives the villains more than we could ever ask or think. In verse number 15, it says, The gift of God is not like the trespass or the wrongdoing that we did. For by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man Jesus Christ, the superhero, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one man's sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. If by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? What that verse is basically saying is, the gift of God, the love of God was greater to overcome our rebellion, our villainy. All the rebellion, all the trespass that we did, we did, his love, all the trespass that Adam gave us, all the sin nature, all of that stuff, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when he laid himself down for the villain overcame all of our evil, overcomes death and overcomes the grave. Note that phrase there, how much more, how much more you see it several times in this passage. That means that no matter how villainous, no matter how sinful Adam and Eve and you and I could be, the grace of God, the gift of redemption and reconciliation, not only can it handle it, but it completely overwhelms it. His grace overflows. Look what it says. His grace overflows to the many. And I'm so thankful for his overflowing grace, right? Because I don't know about you, but there are days that I need grace upon grace upon grace. And his grace overflows to the many. 
So God's love is unconditional and God's love is so good for us that it loves us even though we bring nothing to the table and his love is unreasonable because the only thing we do bring to the table is villainy and rebellion and he loves us in spite of that. And then number three, we see that God's love is undeniable. God's love is undeniable. Romans chapter five, verse eight again. God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love is undeniable and he set this thing up that tells the whole world just how much he loves us. God's love is undeniable, number one, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. His love for us is undeniable because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 answers those two longest standing questions that we've asked about God's love through history. How does God love us if he, so, if he doesn't stop the bad things that happen? And how can God love me as wretched as I am? See, the pain that we feel and the chaos that we see is the result of the clash of God's righteous design with our sinful ways. The reason we feel pain is not because God is laying out a bunch of jealous judgment on us. We feel pain because we don't walk in his righteous way. And we walk outside of his righteous road, it ends up getting us in trouble. Not trouble because he's caused the trouble, but because we brought it on ourselves. You see, in humanity's darkest hour, the light of heaven shined through. The chaos, the pain that we feel was brought on us by sin, and we did that. But in our darkest hour, the light of heaven shined through. The truth is, if I were to put pictures up on the screen this morning, I'm not going to because we got, we got kids in here and I don't want you having to answer a bunch of questions on the way home. But if I were to put pictures on the screen, if I were to put in a picture up of the electric chair, or if I were to put a picture of a gas chamber, or a table where someone puts a lethal injection in, or if I were to put a picture of a gallows or a guillotine up on the screen, that would invoke some visceral reactions from us, right? None of them would probably be good unless you're some sort of weirdo. We'd look at that and say those are instruments of death. Those are, those are tools of, of death. And somebody might say, well, those are tools of justice because the only people that end up on those are people that deserve it. Okay? Death and justice. But if I were to put another symbol of death, another instrument of death from the Roman culture back in the ancient days, if I were to put a cross up there, it invokes a different reaction, doesn't it? Like Paul said, I will glory in the cross of Christ. It invokes a different reaction, a reaction of love, of grace, of peace for so many of us. That's why part of our logo is a cross. The cross symbolizing the grace of God and that road being the way that we walk in grace. The cross, a symbol of death, an instrument of death, has now become a symbol of victory, a symbol of peace, a symbol of hope. Why? Not because the cross brought anything, but because of what happened on that cross by one person. See, the love of God has been proven to us, and the love of God is undeniable. Why should two wooden beams crossed together with nails in them be something that we still think about in 2021? Because of who died on it and what happened on it. The hope that was given to us. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God died unjustly on us. See, the truth is, if all of those symbols are, an act, are a symbol of justice, the just thing would be that we should be on that cross. But God took our place through Jesus Christ. He died on it because of his love for the villain. And the power of Jesus transformed that device into a de of death into a banner of glory and a symbol of hope and deliverance. 2,000 plus years later, we still wear them around our necklaces. We still get them tattooed. We still have them as logos for our church. 
The cross means something totally different because of what God did on it. The cross and what Jesus did on the cross is undeniable proof of his love for us. No matter what darkness or pain we may experience or see on earth, the darkness and the pain that Christ endured on our behalf on the cross will always stand as proof that God is not distant from us, but that he put skin in the game and he paid the greatest price that we could not pay. He paid for us, for our sins. It's undeniable proof. The, God, the love of God is also undeniable because it won't be denied to anyone who wants it. It's an undeniable love because it won't be denied to anybody who wants it. See, some people don't question whether God loves us. They question how God could love us because we're sinners, like we're beyond God's redemption. Romans 5 also speaks to that. Look at verse number 18. It says, so then as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. That's what Adam and Eve brought to us. So also through one righteous act, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. One righteous act, one man's obedience, one act of death, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, not a bunch of different things so that we don't get confused. Trust in Jesus Christ, the work that he did upon the cross, and we will be saved. One man, one act, one cross, one salvation. God wants salvation to be unmistakable and undeniable. And then it says it leads to life for, circle this word, for everyone. It leads to life for everyone so that many will be made righteous. See, God doesn't deny anyone who will come to him. There's not one person in this world who if they will come to Christ, if they will come to him and plead the blood over their sins, that God will say, no, you're too far gone. None of us. You may be too far gone for everybody on this planet, but you're never too far, God for the one, too far gone for the one who sits on the throne in heaven. Ever. And church, we've got to start loving more like Jesus. We've got to stop looking at people through the gauge of their sin. We've got to stop looking at people through the gauge of their mistakes and look at them through the eyes of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that there's not consequences. I'm not saying that we have to, that we just, you know, that we're not careful. I'm saying this. I'm saying that no one is beyond the grace of God because if someone out there is beyond the grace of God, you and I should be beyond it too. The love of God will not be denied to anyone who wants it. Over in Romans 10, we're told in verses, in verse number 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter who you were with when you were there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a love that is undeniable because it won't be denied. And then number four is we end. God's love is unstoppable. God's love is unconditional, it's unreasonable, it's undeniable, but it's also unstoppable. See, God's love conquers sin. It's unstoppable. There's nothing that will put up a mountain in the way of the love of God. His love conquers every height, every valley. It crosses every sea. Just like that old song, there ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. Romans chapter 5 verse 9, look what it says. How much more then? Since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. 
It says that we're justified by his blood and that we're saved through him from wrath because we've been justified through the blood of Christ. We will be saved. Meaning that his blood that he shed on the cross was not just, not just all that was needed to forgive us of our sins that we had committed, but they were also to forgive us of our sins that we will commit. That there is no sin that will be held to our account when the blood of Christ covers it. We will be saved. I love that language. We will be saved. It doesn't mean that we have been saved. It means that we are saved. I was saved from my past. I'm saved now and I will be saved forever. God's love is unstoppable. Like an inmate on death row awaiting a device of death, we've been pardoned and set free never to be put on trial again. That's the grace of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the unconditional, unreasonable, undeniable, unstoppable love of God that while I deserved nothing but death, God took that death for me and gave me life in its place. And there is nothing and no one who can take that from me or from you. It says, through the death of his son, we will be saved by his life. Why is it possible? Because the son, the perfect son, God in the flesh, died and rose again and never to die again. We serve a risen savior, a living savior, and that's important. Why? Because if Jesus died again, he was still under the penalty of sin, but Jesus is not under the penalty of sin. He broke the penalty. He broke the wages. He broke it all, and he lives forever, and in him we live forever. God's love conquers sin and bondage and death, not just for now, but for all eternity. And we close out by looking at verse number 20. The law came along to multiply the trespass. What he's saying here is, when God gave us the law, it was to show us just how sinful we really are. God didn't give us the law to give us a checklist to follow because it was a checklist we were always gonna fail at from the very beginning. He gave us the law to show us our need a need that he was more than willing to meet. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, catch this, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin multiplied, where it looked like death reigned, the grace of God stepped in. The gospel of Jesus Christ stepped in and says, I got news for you. And it's good news. You don't have to let sin reign in your heart anymore. Death doesn't have to be your story. Your story can be grace and love, an unstoppable love that never ends. And it's found in Jesus Christ. As our sins just keep mounting up, the grace of God rises to the challenge to meet, to cover, and to obliterate the sin and death. The love of God is an unstoppable force that meets every challenge that Satan or anyone else can throw its way. See, we're secure in the love of God. It's boundless, it's endless, and it's unstoppable. And it says grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life. I want to close out by throwing this quote up on the screen. It's a quote by Dr. John Phillips basically sums everything up right here. And you may be thinking, well, why didn't you just read this to us and let us go home, <laughs> right? Here it is. Christ giving his life for us saves us from the penalty of sin. Christ giving his life to us saves us from the power of sin as it will one day save us from the presence of sin. God's love is unstoppable. It is undeniable. It is unreasonable. And it is unconditional. The question is, are you living in the love of God? 
as we close out this, this part of the series through the book of Romans, it all kind of comes down to this. Why do we need the gospel? Because we're sinners. And it ain't pretty. Why did we have the gospel? Because God just loves us unreasonably. Unreasonably. And there is no good reason why he should. Yet he does. We are not, we're not wired to understand love like that. But he gives it to us. I want to close by giving you the, the old song, The Love of God. It says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man ascribed by his trade to write the love of God above it would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God how rich and pure how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels song. As long as eternity lasts, and that's forever, the love of God will go on and on and on, keeping us, his children, in perfect peace. As we bow our heads and we close our eyes this morning, as we close out Thanksgiving week, I don't know about you, but the love of God is something I can be thankful for, right? As we get ready for a time of invitation and response this morning, I just want to ask you two questions. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? And if you don't, why not? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? Come to him today. Put your faith and trust in him to be your savior. Stop fighting a fight that you'll never win. The fight you can't fight on your own. Jesus fought the fight for you. Romans 5.8, he proved his love for you while you're a sinner. He died for you in the perfect time. And the time is now. Trust him. If you don't know Christ, put your faith in him today. Come today, talk to me, talk to somebody about how you can know him as your savior. But if you do know Christ, how's that affecting your life today? Is your life different today because of Jesus and how so? See, because I believe this, that Christ is the game changer for everything. He doesn't just give us a ticket to heaven. He changes everything right now too. How has he changed your life? How has he changed it for you? When was the last time you told somebody how he's changed your life? Last time you pray, God, just lead me to somebody that I can share the love of Christ with. Maybe today, we, before we leave today, we spend time just saying, God, give me a greater, a greater respect for your love and a greater desire to share it with others. Dear God, thank you for this time we've had in your word. Thank you for your word and thank you for your love. I pray this morning as we have a time of response that you would work in our heart today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we stand today and Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.